Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dance Uncorked Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Jean. Welcome back, everybody. This is season two, and it's been a long time since I've recorded anything on this podcast. Um, a lot has happened in the last year um, for me, both professionally and personally. So I just haven't gotten around to getting to the mic and getting behind the camera. Um, but we're back and I'm really excited to embark on season two with you. And I think we've got a really good season ahead of us talking about some really interesting um, topics in dance that will hopefully help um, quite a bit of people. Um, I was thinking about all of the different dance artists that are in my life um, that I I think would be really interesting to talk to that I haven't talked to already. Uh, and I started thinking about and making a list of these people and a theme emerged from this. And that theme is how our dance artistry or our experiences or our past training, our past careers in dance have impacted our current careers, which aren't necessarily dance related. And I'm a perfect example of this. So I'm really excited to talk about this throughout season two. And we've got some stellar guests lined up for you. Um, some you may know, um, and some that are going to be introduced to you. And all of them are all near and dear to my heart. So I'm really excited to share this with you all. Thank you for listening and welcome to season two. So as we embark on season two, which means we get to also embark on more wine. Yay. I'm okay with that. I hope you are. Uh, this is called dance uncorked podcast. So we will keep uncorking some wine. Um, and we will discover some new wine that you can try both at home or if you're in the Oregon area, because most likely I'll be recommending some local wine from here in Oregon where I am recording this podcast. And uh, we'll explore that together as well. So to kick season two off, we've got to start with a good glass of wine. And, you know, I can't think of a more better companion than our petite Syrah that I have sitting next to me here. So this is from J. Scott Sellers. And they are located right here in Eugene, Oregon. And Jonathan Overlander is the owner of J. Scott Cellars. And he started it, um, you know, a while ago. He's been in the wine business for many years here in Oregon. And he's actually one of my favorite winemakers here. My husband and I are huge fans of his upscale tasting room, which is located in the Fifth Street Market area, if you're familiar with uh, the Eugene area. And uh, we're, I love all of his wine. Um, my husband really loves all of his red wine in particular. And he's just a stellar winemaker. Jonathan's really unique here in this area because he doesn't actually own his own vineyard. Um, he is a pure and true winemaker. Um, so he has a cellar where, and basically a warehouse where he makes all of the wine, but he's getting grapes from all over Oregon, from all different kinds of vineyards. Um, and varietals. So he's able to make quite a variety of wines. So when you go in, you might even get overwhelmed by how many wines you have to choose from just because he has so much fun exploring and creating new wine for people to enjoy. So I am having the 2019 Petite Syrah. And I think Petite Syrahs are one of my favorites just because it's really usually deep purple color, uh, which is like 
I think one of the most beautiful colors in the world is that really deep petite Syrah purple. Um, I'm often finding myself attracted to like lipsticks that are like petite Syrah purple or, you know, wall colors that are petite Syrah purple. Um, it's a, it's one of my favorite colors. So as you can see, I don't, I mean, the camera doesn't really do this justice, but it is pretty dark. It's a darker color purple. Uh, the petite Syrah is actually a product of cross-pollination. Um, so when two varietals are combi combined, they actually make a new varietal or essentially like petite Syrah is like an offspring of two other varietals. So um, it's, it's a sciencey kind of fun thing uh, to think about as far as like its origin and where it comes from. Um, but the berries are typically smaller on the vine. They're like smaller berries, naming petite. And, um, but however, they may be similar to me. <laughs> we are tiny, but we are mighty. And the petite Syrah grapes, my, while they may be small, they definitely pack a punch. So this petite Syrah, um, if you read the notes on it, on this wine on J. Scott's website, which I'll link in the notes below, uh, it's ripe dark fruit is what you're going to taste. Um, some notes of chocolate. I mean, sold, like I'm, I'm sold. You had me at that. Uh, and gorgeous tannins. And um, these grapes are actually coming from Southern Oregon, which uh, is hotter most of the year. And it, the temperatures temp tend to get hotter there. So they can produce these bigger reds like calves, Syrahs, Petite Syrahs, Zinfandales. So all of our big wines here in the Southern Willamette Valley area um, we are very like Pinot Noir weather type for growing here. That's the typical grape you'll find here that's growing in the ground. Um, but any big reds that you see here are normally coming, the grapes are coming from Southern Oregon um, and amongst other places in Oregon. Southern Oregon is just one of the, the more popular places that people like to get grapes. So let's try this wine and see how it goes. Hmm. I definitely get the chocolate notes. Um, up front, I get the chocolate notes. Uh, I get, and it's chocolate, like a, like a really real rich dark chocolate. So it's almost that bitter, um, chocolate versus like Hershey's chocolate. So keep that in mind when you're drinking this and definitely bold, um, rich, Definitely agree with the tasting notes that were written about it, 100%. I think this would go wonderful with a, like a smoked salmon, just because it does have some fruitiness and acidity to it, but it's very smooth and velvety. So it would go really well with like a smoked fish. And because that's kind of the same thing as this guy right here. Like it does have acidity. Salmon has it, that fishy acidity, but then the smokiness of a, of a salmon really kind of like rounds it off holistically. So I think the two would go really well together um, amongst, you could just drink this. I will like you, I'm just going to drink it by itself, like right now. Um, and I will not have any qualms about that either. So pick up the 2019 Petite Syrah from Jay Scott. You can buy online. Um, you can go to his tasting room if you're here in the area and you can buy that in the tasting room and stay a while. It's really great tasting room. They have little bites too. His wife makes like hand makes all of the desserts there. Just saying her cheesecake is bomb. So make sure you go check it out if you're here in the area. If not, I will um, put all of J. Scott Seller's information down below so that you can check him out. And with that, let's get into this podcast. So 
to start off the season, we're going to start with me because I am living proof of this entire theme of season two, where dance has kind of infiltrated my career in a very positive and successful way. So I want to share that with folks um, who may be struggling um, as they are, maybe they're, you're a young adult and you're coming out of high school or you're coming out of your first year of college, or you're just kind of embarking on this new dance career and you don't, it's not really working out and you don't quite know what your next steps are, but you still need to pay your bills. So you have to get like a job job, um, as we call it in the dance world. Not, not to say that dance jobs are not job jobs, because <laughs> let me tell you, they are, and they probably pay better than most job jobs, but it's hard to get the odds are not high <laughs> when it comes to job jobs in the dance world. So oftentimes dancers are um, left to seek out other type of work so that they can financially um, find stability. So maybe you're one of those young adults. Uh, maybe you are a professional dancer right now and you're, your career is kind of dissolving or you're wanting it to come to an end. You are feeling burnout and you're like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Or your career is being pushed to be dissolved because let me tell you that happens too to some people, especially in, um, you know, stage work and uh, ballet companies. Like your, your age is, uh, the age of a professional dancer is pretty young. Like the retirement for, um, a professional dancer is probably in their mid to late thirties. So yeah, like it's, it's not a real retirement age at all, but that's the reality of this. So maybe you're one of those people kind of looking to transition, um, in that next step, whatever that may be. And it needs to be something where you have benefits and you have a retirement 401k or what have you, um, because you haven't had that for your entire dance career, just because that's not a common thing either in the dance world. Um, you just don't get those things. And hopefully you either a, you find someone that you can partner up with and find a companion in your life that does have those things. Um, or you pay a lot of money to have them on your own independently, or you just roll the dice and you don't have them at all. So that's kind of who this is for. Um, I work currently at the University of Oregon in safety and risk services. And my role predominantly is a support role. I do a lot of organizational things, a lot of calendaring, a lot of administrative things. Um, support is the best way I can describe that. And not only do I support just um, the vice president of this division, um, I support all of the directors of this division. And to be quite honest, I support the entire department. So we're looking at 40 plus people that I kind of um, want to help and desire to help on a daily basis. And they do come to me for help too. So it's definitely reciprocal. Um, I'm gonna tell you three ways that my dance experiences have permeated into my career outside of dance. I am currently not teaching at all. I haven't taught like committingly um, since 2019 maybe. So it's been a couple of years and I'm okay. I am actually really happy, which is funny because I never, if you told 15 year old me that this is what I'd be doing with no dance, like as part of my 
career or um, how I make money. Um, if you told 15 year old me that this is where I would be, I would probably laugh right in your face and be like, yeah, right. Cause I lived, breathed, bled, died for dance. Um, and not that I still don't, I just, I'm an adult now and you learn things when you grow up and things get real and, you know, bills become a real thing and, um, responsibility becomes a real thing. And it, it, it all shifts to your responsibilities when you were younger to your twenties, to your thirties and beyond, they keep shifting. So you have to like shift with that or else you're going to get left behind in the sand. So that's where I'm at currently in my career. I have this professional job. That's wonderful, but it has nothing to do with dance. However, dance and the experiences that I've gained in dance from childhood training and beyond, um, keep popping up every time I have different tasks, projects, you know, however I have to tackle something dance permeates and the lessons that I've learned in dance have permeated through those things. So three things here, number one, adaptability, <laughs> being able to pivot at a moment's notice or just very quickly is crucial. And I wouldn't have been able to be so good at that in my current job if I was not a dancer and I didn't have a dance career prior to all of this. Um, you know, that that characteristic allows us to not cave under pressure. You know, how many times have you been on stage and one of your costume pieces fall off, fell, falls off? Your the hats, the freaking hats are like typical, right? You lose the hat. You do everything you can to make sure that the hat stays on and the thing does not stay on. It falls off in the middle. Not only are you irritated, but it's also like a physical thing that could interrupt the movement <laughs> that you have to do and to complete on stage. And you have to pretend like it's not there. You have to just pretend like nothing happened. So this ability to adapt around that and to like not cave under that kind of pressure really came forward for me in my career now, um, during specifically, I'm going to say it COVID-19, uh, the global pandemic that we all, um, know and have experienced and it's all affected us in different ways. Um, it's still affecting us all in different ways, but COVID-19 was a great example. I remember in fall of 2020, we had to get ready to welcome 5,000 new freshmen in one of the most awkward years of college history. Like I say, not even just University of Oregon, like college history, 5,000 students were coming to live on campus. And at that time, the rules were kind of like still rocky, right? Or just the, the knowingness that we had about this virus was still kind of out there. So we didn't know a lot. And we had to, um, there were a lot of like uh, wishy-washy like uh, statements or rules or just kind of like perceptions at that time. But I do remember that was when COVID-19 testing was starting to really bubble up and people were really starting to get into that. And um, testing was very, very important. Um, it still, I think, is probably one of the most important parts besides the actual vaccine itself. The testing portion to stand that up was a huge lift 
on so many people, especially from a university standpoint. And we had to test all 5,000 students prior to them moving in. They had to get to campus. They needed to take a test and it needed to be negative in order for them to get their keys. So testing site was needed in addition to check-in for housing. So, you know, lots of stress, lots of things, lots of logistics also involved. This was also during the summer of the terrible wildfires in Oregon of 2020. Bad air quality that summer, terrible. And this is the like right in the thick of it this time. It was like September, end of September, 2020. And we were going to host this testing site and this check-in site so that these um, students could check into their housing and get their tests done all at the same time, trying to make it as convenient as, as, as we could um, for these new students, these sweet baby angels who were probably terrified um, to go to college just in general, and then too with a pandemic also. So more power to you, class of 2020. I'm just, I'm just saying 2024, right? You'd technically be 2024 at this point. Um, but I do remember we were going to host this at Autzen Stadium, which is the football stadium of the Oregon Ducks football team, Go Ducks. And um, we were going to do a drive-through clinic. And we were also having to deal with the wildfire air quality, which, what, like I said, was terrible um, at that time. Like, it, you guys, it was just unreal. So two days before the first batch of these sweet baby angels showing up, we had to pivot and change locations. So no longer a drive-through, we had to do something that was indoors. So now it had to be walk-up. Just that alone, just that alone gives me a headache, right? Switching from like a vehicle thing to a pedestrian thing. So, okay, we had two days to do it though. And I mean, luckily, as I always say, it takes a village. Like it really takes a village, especially at a university. There's no IN team. None of the work that we did during COVID-19 could have been done by a single person. It shouldn't have been done by a single person. So I have a wonderful team that I work with and we all just kind of put our heads together and made it happen in two days. But those, I specifically remember the meeting where we had to have that conversation of we are changing locations. It was not an easy meeting to have. Um, it was over Zoom. <laughs> and I just remember I could feel the tension between and the stress between the screens. Like you could feel it through your screen. And it was not an easy meeting to have, but it like we had to move forward. You have to keep going and you have to adapt. So I remember that feeling grateful in that moment when we actually pulled it off two days later and we're welcoming these students in and it's actually going okay. Um, I remember feeling grateful for dance, for teaching me that, you know what, even if your hat falls off on stage or you rip in your tights, you forgot one of your shoes, you have the wrong color tights, you forgot a glove. Like, is anyone getting triggered right now? <laughs> um, but it's okay. And you can pivot and you can make this work and you have to just keep moving forward. So adaptability and being able to pivot and a little bit of kickball change doesn't hurt either. So that's number one. Number two, if we can produce a show, we can execute a project and then we can do it well also. So half the time when I'm 
preparing for meetings or I'm in a meeting and I'm taking notes, but also manning the Zoom and I'm also managing the chat and I'm also sharing a PowerPoint. <laughs> like the list goes on. Because of COVID-19, we have to live in this like hybrid world and that's part of accessibility too. Like it's actually helping to let as many people participate in something as possible. It's like a blessing and a curse, right? Um, but it is more complex now. Um, and half the time, I think I was joking the other week with, with my boss, actually, um, I was in a meeting and I was kind of doing like three things at one time. And I looked up and I was like, I think I need a headset. Like I would actually feel calmer if I had a headset on like a stage manager. Um, so if dancers, like if you've produced a show, you've done lights, who knows what you've done, right? You've organized a recital something you or you've been a part of this process you can do anything you literally can do anything and you can do it really well because it allows us to think big picture like we're not just thinking about the individual channels of what needs to get done you're also thinking about that end product so and you almost have like a creative process of working backwards I don't know how many of you like to do that my brain works that way a lot I start at the end and kind of move backwards from there, especially when it's coming to like a really complex project. And um, yeah, it allows you just to organize large complex projects really, really well um, because you have that holistic view. Um, you're planning ahead constantly. You're constantly thinking about, well, what if this happens? Then you have backup plans. Like there, you just kind of think of those things because of the experiences you've had producing a show. It's so funny to think about it, but it's so, so true. Um, your agendas become your light cues, you know, and your minutes become your show notes. And you can start pinpointing people in the meeting to be like, that's my, you know, that's my stage crew. That's this, that's that. And you kind of, I don't know, I like to do that. I just kind of like um, try and put my current situation into something that's more familiar, like a production of a stage show. And um, it comes out really well. So if you can produce a show, you can do anything and you can do it well. That's number two. Number three, our desires to authentically connect make us invaluable team members when it comes to a company a small group, anything. Um, as dancers, when we create, we are constantly seeking, how are we connecting, right? How am I, how is this translating to the audience? And even if we're not concerned with that, it's about connection in some way, shape or form. Meaning, even if you don't care about your audience, which some people don't, that's not my jam, but some people don't, you're still trying to connect yourself to whatever you're doing for you. So inherently, dancers have an authentic desire to connect to others, to themselves, to find meaning in something. And I think that has really permeated through my work um, because I, as a support role, I really need to be able to connect with people to understand how to support somebody. 
in a really good way um in an and not in a superficial way either um so we know how to read the room um we have spidey sense about feelings I feel like dancers just have an innate understanding because our work is so nonverbal that feeling um energy around us is actually kind of like our superpower (laughs) um and that alone like a lot of people don't have that so because you're a dancer like most dancers have this ability um because like I said it's a nonverbal way of communicating so we have to figure it out otherwise and we take years and years of training to like hone in on this skill so by the time you get to a career Um, that has nothing to do with it, you have this like superpower that maybe nobody else in the room has. And I can't tell you how many times this has like really helped build my relationships between my colleagues at work. This has helped me communicate to my boss who is often so busy due to meetings, to travel, to whatever, that that person misses out a lot on those like nuances, but like I have that, I can be that voice to be like, hey, this is also going on. And I think maybe we should pause here and refocus our attention on this aspect of the team. Um, I know we've got this work to do, but like this is becoming a thing because I feel that and I've like, I've communicated and I've connected with people on this um, and doing that work that my supervisor doesn't necessarily have time to do. Um, So we pause and now it's like, we're going to take the time to do it because it's really important actually. So it served me in those ways to kind of be that conduit um, in a larger group of people. It can get pretty hard to try and stay connected to a lot of people when you're a really, really busy executive. So um, I like serving as that middle ground um, between that. And I think dance has really served me in that way to be able to connect with people and to seek out connection um, and to help want want to understand what other people are thinking, feeling, why does this matter to them? You know, you ask themselves your question when you're creating art. I do at least. And, um, I ask myself those questions too, when I'm doing work that has nothing to do with the creation of art or whatnot. Um, we, we do things in a way to reach everyone in the room or a larger audience. We don't, we're not just trying to connect with like two people that have come to see your performance. You're trying to connect with a large group of people. And, um, that's a really interesting skill to have. And once again, this goes along the lines of like, you're a holistic thinker, you have bigger picture thinking. Um, It's really good to hone in on the moment to get really detailed and refined. Um, But somebody who can really think holistically is an invaluable asset to a team. Um, So I highly recommend (laughs) taking your dance superpowers and like really investing them into the people and your colleagues, your team around you. Seek out what they do and who they are and be that person that can read the room and can think about people from a holistic stance while also acknowledging and honoring their individual characteristics. So that's number three. 
there is probably a longer list of things that I've learned from dance that I can also get like way more specific, but this was like a 50 foot view of like just three big ideas that have permeated into my current career that um, I owe to my dance training. And it's really cool to think about that. You can get really sad about not being in the dance industry anymore or you know, I'm not teaching anymore. You can really be down and hard on yourself as an artist and feel like a failure if you're not doing that stuff. But what I've come to realize is that you never really stop doing it. Even if you are working in a field that has nothing to do with dance, you're still a dancer. You're still an artist. You know, it it just goes to show that dance training is life training. And that is a quote by the, you know, immeasurable Joe Tremaine. Um, as a competition kid who attended Tremaine dance conventions multiple times a year, I grew up hearing this man say that. Um, it's kind of a term uh, that is, that his name is attached to at this point um, as part of his like branding and his marketing for his convention that's still running by the way. And he says that he says that dance training is life training. And it took me to be in my thirties to really understand what he was talking about. So if you are a person that is transitioning out of a dance career and into a more full-time job and you're upset about it, think about these things. Think about how dance can permeate into the work that you're doing how can it benefit? How can you become an invaluable team member or an asset to a company because of your dance training? How can you pump that up in your interview? Don't be shy about it because there's not a lot of us. There's not a lot of dancers out there, professional dancers. You've seen places that a lot of people haven't seen. You've experienced things that a lot of people haven't experienced. You are an interesting person and you come with a lot of value and specific skill sets that while you can do a time step, like you can also like understand when 40 people are feeling a little uneasy about something just by feeling it. Nobody has to say anything, right? So like embrace your dance superpowers even if you're not doing anything in dance, because they will resonate. I promise you, they will resonate and they will only make you more successful in the thing that you're doing. Um, hopefully the thing that's not related to dance, you end up loving. Um, maybe not as much as dance. Cause that's like, hello, that's like your soulmate. Right. But you know, there is joy and there is love to other work and what you bring to it is often the key. So bring all of your dance superpowers to that thing that you're doing. Um, and I think you'll find that you can really enjoy it and that you're probably really good at it. So thank you again for joining me today. That wraps up the first episode of season two. Stay tuned for more episodes coming your way with some really stellar guests. We will continue this conversation about how dance kind of has kind of um, dance experiences has helped us in careers that may or may not be related to dance at all. 
And I hope it's an interesting subject that you guys will stay with me through season two. I will be updating my website and my socials as um, we continue down season two. I will probably be posting season two episodes once a month because like I said, your girl's busy. So I'm going to do the best I can to stay on that track and uh, give you a great um, season of episodes to listen to. So thanks again. Thank you, J. Scott Sellers, for this beautiful petite Syrah. Uh, I look forward to visiting J. Scott very soon, and hopefully I'll see you there. If not, check out his website, check out danceuncorkedpodcast.com for more information about this wine and this episode. Until next time, I'm Lindsay Jean. We'll see you next time. Cheers.